0: Repeat the top with me, please. Say prospering, prospering in, the right in the right season. I believe that prosperity is part of God's desire for all of us. The challenge is getting us to understand its value. We are in in, in a number of initiatives right now. One I'm really excited about is um, the missions program, which we're halfway there. I hope you join me in that. I'll tell you more about it later. We're sending missionaries to Uganda and and in order to do those kind of things, you have to prosper. You have to have resources. Some people have an opinion, but don't have any investment. <laughs> they, they have an opinion about what needs to change, but their money doesn't say, I'm invested in that. When you meet somebody who needs to go to college, you tell them to go, but you don't pay for a book. So you have an opinion without investment. I think you should not just have an opinion. I think you should be invested. I want to um, start with a statement that I I almost forgot to put in. I didn't put in your notes. I probably should have, but it just came to me later that I forgot to put it in. And let me just make the statement, and then use track with me. Here's, Here's the question that came to my mind. Is the now Ricky being fair to the future Ricky? What I do right now will affect me later on in my life. So is the now Ricky being fair to the future prosperity of the future Ricky? What is your name? One, two, three. One more time, Try. what is your name? Now, I'm going to say the same thing. You put your name in there, right? Is the now being fair to the future Now, some of us would say no, because the health choices you're making now will not be fair to you in 20 years. (coughs) You will be struggling in 20 years. Will the future Ricky be forced to live in what the now Ricky creates? I'll be forced to live in it because of what I'm doing to me now. Many of your issues now are the direct result of not being fair to yourself in the past. Case in point, let's say you are late for an airplane. Get to the airport like I've done i missed two in my life. I never will forget Mount Vernon, Ohio, driving up to a small airport, and the plane was taken off, and I waved. <laughs> Had to wait several hours to catch the next plane. I thought I timed it right, but I was wrong. What, what issue do you have now? When I stood watching that plane take off, the, the issue was I did not get up early enough, even though I was up, it was an hour and a half drive to the airport, I thought I had it time right, but I didn't. And so, your current issues, the things that you're dealing with right now, are they the result of you being unfair to yourself? If I had gotten up three hours early, I would have caught the plane. So you don't like school, so you don't go. You don't study, you don't apply yourself. Fine, for now. But is the now Ricky being unfair to the future prosperity of the future Ricky? Spending it now, charging it now is great, but is it unfair to the future? Some of you say, well, I've been unfair to myself. I agree. The now overcoming by faith has to be fair to the future overcoming by faith. You have to build smart buildings that you could pay for and maintain. You have to build systems and, and, and structures that can be sustained. You have to build people who think. Case in point. Case in point. This is not just some academic thing I do every week because I'm trying to be impressive. I don't want to raise, oh boy, don't say it like that, Temple. Dumb people, don't say that, don't say that. People who can't think, people who can't ration, reason. I want to raise a group of people who don't understand how to solve a problem, who are afraid of money, who are afraid of prosperity, who are living off debt, who are in bondage to everybody in every group, running after every fad that comes along. I want to raise a church of people. When you go to a church and you hear a guy preaching, he's off the wall, you say, that is out of the Bible. I don't know where you're getting that from. God bless you. That's almost exciting. Can you say amen? amen? Oh, my daughter, when she goes out with people, she's a fool, I want her to say, you're a fool. <laughs> I want her to say, nicely, be nice, but I want to be able to say, nah, 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 put up with this. You wanna ride me home? I can call, okay. <laughs> I got money, I'm not broke. I don't want you to ever be, I don't wanna be responsible for nurturing and training people to not be strong. There's something that happens when you are clear that every season prepares you for the next season. The reason you're so insecure is because somewhere in the past, someone didn't anchor you. That's why you run from relationship to relationship, from person to person, place to place. Frustration to frustration, issue to issue. But now it's time for you to be fair to the future you. This season is not permanent. It will end. What am I doing for the future seasons of my life? You see, I believe there's a season of prosperity and blessing for you. There's a season that God wants to do things in your life, but you've got to catch this. But here's a big question for today. You ready? Today's big question. Would it be wise for God to prosper you in this season of your life? Where you are right now, in your thinking, in your attitude. Should he give you a good man so you can beat him up? Should he give you a good woman? Why should he give you the job with all the money? Would it be wise for God to give you, to prosper you in this season of your life? Now, Joseph is our case study today, and I apologize for using him again, but he just fit the mold. He waited 13 years for his prosperity breakthrough. From the age of 17 to the age of 30. I gave you a graph to prove it. From 17 to 30, this guy had a rough road. And uh, what I want to do is read a little bit of his life story. And it's, I had to do this because it just made sense. The only way you're going to get it is you know, it, 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 you have to read it. And so in this paragraph I'm going to read to you, it, there's a lot of ages in here. He was this age, and this happened, and he was that age, and this happened. So you can read it on your own later, but let me just, <coughs> excuse me, press through here. Joseph lived in a, fa- a, fa- a family full of strife and was eventually sold by his brothers into slavery. At 17, hosey? He stayed in this season of slavery until he was how old? 30 years old. Think about that. Pause for a minute. Think about that. From 17 to what? 30. When he turned 30 years old, he was brought before Pharaoh to interpret a dream that dealt with seven years of famine and seven years of plenty that were coming in the future. He offers Pharaoh a simple solution that involved saving for the lean years during the prosperous years. He was promoted by Pharaoh to manage the next 14 years. He was a 30-year-old man with not just a clear picture of the problem, but a solution to the problem, which meant that Joseph understood not only what he saw, he knew how to fix it. I call it a Joseph's answer. So if my staff brings me an issue, I said, what's your Joseph's answer? Tell me the solution. Show me how to fix this. Marriage is not right, what do you do to fix it? What's the answer, not just the problem? I love that. Sometimes during the seven years of famine, he was reunited with his family after 13 years in prison and seven years of leadership in Egypt. This total season turned out to be 20 years plus A 20-year-plus season of pain and family separation. 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. Imagine that. And you're complaining about how many months? Now, here's the great thought. Why did Joseph not prosper the way he dreamed in the early days of his life? Remember, he was the guy who had the dreams He wanted, he saw all of his brothers worshiping him and it was working for him. Here's my answer. It was not the right season for him and his family to prosper. What Joseph saw in the dream wasn't for today. He was 17, high school senior. God wanted him to wait until he was 30 years old. And his family was facing the seven years of famine. During the famine, they would appreciate his prosperity. Sometimes we only appreciate the good days when the what? Bad days come. So imagine, he's 17 years old. His brothers sell him into slavery. He stays there for 13 years. And then when he's 30 years old, Pharaoh has a dream. He can't interpret. He calls for Joseph. They they refer him to Joseph. Joseph comes and interprets the dream. The dream says there's going to be seven years of of plenty and seven years of famine. Pharaoh is so impressed with his answers that he puts him over Egypt. He's the second in command. And now, somewhere between in, in the seven years of famine, his brothers come to buy food and don't know it's him and he meets his brothers, and now the season is over. Now God says it's time, but a lot's happened. A lot of things have happened. He's changed, they've changed, but it was the best season. Here's what I believe. God sometimes will hold back your blessing until it's the best time for you aren't you glad you didn't get $10 million a year 10 years, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? If you had $10 million 20 years ago, some of you would have done things with it, but now you, you say, no, I'm not going to do all that. I'm not going to do all that. There was a time if you got a, a big check for a million dollars or 100,000, I say numbers just to bother you, you. know. I could say $50, but I ain't going to pressure you. So imagine if you got a million dollar check Ten years ago, you'd tell everybody, invite your cousins. Now you tell nobody. Just shh, Where you going someplace? I'll be back in a minute. I'll be back. I'm just going, going out to the mall area, area in the area of the mall someplace. <laughs> You've changed. This is a better season for our church. This is a better season for your marriage. This is a better season. You're more aware. You're more in tune. That's why they make you wait to go to college. That's why they, they do all that. They, they want you to work through some seasons. When you stand up and say, I got a master's degree, they know you went through a season. When you say you worked for 15 years on a job, they know. When you say you had a business, they know. When they say you've been married for six years, they all know. Everybody says, oh, we know about that. Boy, you got a long way to go. Wait till you get to 16 years. And the well seems dry again. Don't say 26 years. Lord Jesus, I'm coming up on 36. Amen, brother. 36 years. I think Solomon helps us just because he gives us what I call some seasonal advice. Ecclesiastes 3 says, to everything there is a season. Now, I want you to read later on Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, but I didn't want to write it all out for you. Just, here's the verse 1. I want you to hear this one verse. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Seasons are part of life. The question is, what season are you in? What season are you in? If God had given you more prosperity and position before this, before this season of your life, would you have done then what you would do now? Some of you say, no, I, w- I would be different. I would be different. I would, I would not be the same. I, I, I would not handle it the same. Are you doing now what you should be doing in this season to prepare for the next one. Now, I want to just take you to five seasonal lessons about prosperity from the life of, of, Je- of Joseph. And, and this is kind of me summarizing his whole family for a moment. Remember, his daddy is Jacob, who's a brother of Esau. They called him Israel in the text because of an incident he had with God, where God, he wrestled with God. But, and that's what Israel means, he who wrestles with God. And so there's this prophetic change of his name. But basically, he grew up in a house with 12 brothers who had issues. 12 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, all these guys, Judah and these guys, they all were his brothers. And these were the guys who sold him into slavery. And these were the guys who lied about it, you'll see, for 20 years to their father. That's That's a big family secret. We sold your son. <laughs> Let me give you five seasonal lessons about prosperity. And these are lessons from the family of Joseph. Number one, families can create, read this with me, please, come on. Families can create an environment that hinders their prosperity. <coughs> now put this in, in, in bold, print verse three in your notes in Genesis 3, 37. Here is why this family's prosperity was hindered. Here's the environment that Jacob created, he's called Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Favoritism. He created that environment. (laughs) He did it. He did it. You did it. What environment have you created in your family that has contributed to the lack of prosperity and unity? Comparing kids. I'm reading a book called Quiet. I recommend it. It's by Susan Cain. It's my new read. And in this book called Quiet, it talks about introverts and extroverts. And it just has revolutionized my thinking. Because the book, Quiet, says everybody's not loud. And that I can tend to judge people that are quiet. My wife is an introvert. I'm probably more of an ambivert, which is you know, ambidextrous. I'm between an extrovert and an introvert. My wife says at home I'm an introvert. When I finish with this, I will go into my cave. And I will not come back out for the rest of the day. If you visit my house, sometimes they say, he goes. You have to ask where he is. Is he here? I, I spend a lot of time reading and thinking. And I enjoy it. And I get, I get strength from it. an introvert gets strength from um, being alone, solitude, thinking. Extroverts get strength from talking to people. I enjoy talking to people. I like, I like this. I like the Q&A stuff. I can do that the whole time. But I I live between both worlds, so I'm ambivert. I'm between both. But here's what's really amazing. What she helped me understand is how intolerant I am of people that are not like me. And my goal is to bring people out. I see people that help me introduce introduce me to their kids. Come on, speak to the pastor. He's scared to death. (laughs) Just say hi and keep moving. We tend to have this, and it's helped me in my marriage, it's helped me in my perspective. Because part of the issue we have with each other, we're judging each other, rather than embracing each other. And so they looked at Joseph and created this environment that put down some of the brothers and elevated him, and so it created this environment, and that hinders prosperity. Now, what's interesting is his father, I put a note for you, grew up. Israel did. Jo- Joseph did. Jacob did. He grew up in a culture of strife with his brother Esau and continued to allow it to grow in his own family culture. It was part of what he grew up with, and he brought it to his own family. I would guarantee a lot of what you do in your family environment was transferred from your family. The moods, the attitudes, dispositions, the holding a grudge, all that stuff, you transferred it right over. And it's now part of your family. So here you have this guy struggling in an environment that his daddy grew up in. <laughs> Secondly, families can create, say it with me again, come on. Families can create an environment that hinders their prosperity. Say it again, come on. Families can create an environment that hinders their prosperity. Number 2. Families must not ignore obvious tensions that will hinder their long-term prosperity. Now, there are obvious tensions that lived in Joseph's house. The brothers were arguing with him all the time. The scripture says in, in chapter thirty-seven that they they couldn't be nice to him, and he and his father never stopped it. So he brings the strife environment from his past family to his new family, and his new family is large, as twelve kids. I mean, this this guy is the guys, not even including the girls. So it's, they, they, he had he had daughters too. So you got you got twenty people in the house, probably close to twenty people. So you know it's 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 a zoo anyway. And favoritism doesn't help anybody. One guy gets a coat. Oh, daddy bought you a coat of many colors, and you come in here talking about some dream you saw. We all gonna worship you. We're gonna beat you down, fool. <laughs> that's what they said. You know now that's what your siblings would have said. When they gone, we're going to beat you down, leader. <laughs> Third observations. So he, he ignored the obvious tensions. Number three, families must see the power of working together to prosper. They didn't work together. They worked, they worked against each other. Number four, families must police themselves and not allow deception to live in their culture. But They didn't police themselves. He didn't police them. I'm trying to help you see how this happens in a family. Tension. Not working together. Deception. Not telling the truth. Lying to each other. And you're asking God to fix it. He says, really? There's a bigger question coming, I promise. Number five. Families must not avoid a culture. Watch this now. Families must avoid a culture of secrecy that sows bad long term seed. In Genesis 37, 31 through 35, there's a statement made about how these brothers kept, on top of all that I just described, the tension, the strife, they kept a 20 year secret from their dad. Here's what they did look at verse, verse 31. So they took Joseph's tuna. This is after they sold him. Chapter 37, verse 31. They took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. So they go out and they kill this animal, right? Then they take his coat of many colors and dip it, rip it in pieces, and dip it in the animal's blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you, have, do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not, or coat or not? And he rec- verse 33, he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic or coat. A wild beast, this is what the father said, a wild beast has devoured him. Imagine that image in your mind. Without doubt, Joseph is torn in pieces. Imagine that in your mind. Then Jacob, not called Israel this time, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. Verse 35. And all his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And they did this for 20 years. 20 years. Is it possible that because they did this, that was a 20-year season, God saw no benefit in prospering them? You see, we can be a certain way and not know how profound that decision can be. And we don't always see the seasons we're in. We don't recognize ourselves. And sometimes it's not until you look back that you can see it. I look back, and I remember when I first started preaching in the ministry, I was, uh, I was the assistant pastor in the church, and I was only there for a short time, but I remember this church had seasons of issues, and they never could prosper. They were struggling, and they never could kind of get past, you know, 100 people. Was just struggling, struggling. And right out of Bible college, they assigned me to this church, and, and they good people, but they had issues, I mean, a lot of issues. Every week it was a new issue. And and it's almost like no matter what you did, it, it just it was always something. And if you look at them, you're wondering, why can't they prosper? Why can't they advance? It's because they kept living in these seasons. So one season, excuse me, it was about demons. A group of members went to this prayer breakfast thing, and, uh, and they had... Um, uh, the, the person taught on demons and said you got 30 demons and you. I'm sorry, but you, you, okay, you got 30 demons and you got 15 and you know what I mean. And so they came back to the church and counting demons. <laughs> True. And I was the assistant pastor, so they, they would call me and, and say things to me, and, and then you know, I, and I guess I, my job is to tell the pastor. But anyway, so they called me and said, Pastor Rick, they said, um, uh, they said, uh um, they call me Ricky. Uh, there's a I, 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 demons in my house. I, I said, Are demons in your house? She said, Yeah, I see him. I said, Where is it? She said, On the curtain. I said, Close it. <laughs> true, true story. Another one called me. She said, she said, My husband got a demon. We need counseling. My husband got a demon. I said, How you know your husband got a demon? And so I called him in. He came in. He said, Pastor Rick. He said, what happened was I was at breakfast. And she looked at me. And she said, you got a demon. And you know what he said? I shall do. He said, I was so mad, I screamed, ah! And she ran out the house. (laughs) Took off. Wouldn't go back home. He said, I was so mad, tell me I got a demon. I said, yeah, I got one. Last story, same, same, all, all this from one prayer breakfast. <laughs> How many prayer breakfasts did I say? <laughs> so, young girl called me, says she had a demon. Whole family said she got a demon. So she was at the church. Now the pastor lived next door to the church. Where did the pastor live? Next door. So I get there, and, and so um, she's sitting like this on the couch, Ah! Making sounds. So I I just got out of Bible college. I'm new, man. I don't know what this is. We read about it in doctrine class. (laughs) So she said. Then she turned to him and said, "Have you ever done anything like this before?" (laughs) She asked me, "Have you ever done?" I said, you need to stop watching movies. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of demon you got asking me, interviewing me for my qualifications? <laughs> TV, TV, too much TV. What'd you do? Wait till the pastor got down. I'm not a pastor. <laughs> it's his job. It's your job. I'm just, I'm learning, man. I'm in training. I just graduated. Go for it, dude. You live in and out of these seasons. You're always in some season. Why would God prosper you? Bless you. Advance you. He can't give you what you ask for. Your attitude's wrong. Your approach is wrong. Next week I'll talk about the attitude. Prospering with the right attitude. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. But you can learn from Joseph and decide, Lord, I want you to be able to prosper in me now. I want you to I want to be nice to Ricky in the future. And it starts with a change of attitude today. Did you learn something? I hope you did. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, I lift before you your people. And I declare in Jesus' name that we are victorious. And we are free. We will not be bound. We will not create a future that does not work long term. We will not live in the trap of issues and bondages that will hinder our ability in the future. We will repent, change, be honest, be open, and be strong. Oh, man. Can can you look at me for a second? You know, you know, you know, one one thing I just I just want to say it to you because I, I just need to say it is so much pressure. There's so much pressure sometimes in, in churches and pastors to grow a church. You just bean count all your life. One, two, three, four. Who will be successful today is four people. Oh, tomorrow it be five. And then it'll be 500. But if you start being counting, you'll be being counting all your life. Because now we're at 3,200, so guess what we want it to be? 4,300. And when we get to 4,300, guess what we want it to be? 5,300. One, two, three. You know what the problem with that is? Let's say you get 10,000 fools. <laughs> How many children do you want? One. Stop me. Two. Stop me. Three. When I get to your number, raise your hand. Ready? One. One. Two. Stop me when I get to your number three. Stop me when I get to your number four. Five. Stop. Six. Do I hear seven? I'm done. Eight. What's wrong with y'all? You don't want to grow. What's wrong with you? You don't want to grow. You don't want your family to grow. How are your family going to expand through the generations? Do I hear fifteen? Anybody? Fifteen. Twenty. He put both hands down. I know. I have my brother from Nigeria raise his hands. Y'all like big families. I understand, but he put his hand down on twenty. <laughs> Stop trying to be bigger first. Lord, in this season, help us be stronger first. Stop being counting. It's okay to grow. We want to expand. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see nothing wrong with that, but we want to not get caught up in that bondage. Stop measuring ourselves just by our balances in our checking accounts and not measure ourselves by the balances in our character account. Help us not just measure ourselves by our job titles, but help us to learn to look at our lifestyles. Help us to begin to value relationships More than authoritatorship and being authoritative. Help us to learn not just be leaders, but be followers. Help us to stop trying to always have the upper hand. And sometimes just lend a helping hand. Help us, oh God, to see the bigger picture. Not just giving our kids stuff, but giving them character. And time, our presence—not just a house that we never live in or visit, or a car we barely have time to drive because we spend all of our time parking it at work. It lives in our parking lot. It lives in the work parking lot more than it, than we drive it. Help us not be mean in this season. To our future season. Help this church look back and say we were nice to ourselves. We sowed good seed. We prospered in a healthy way. We didn't just work all the overtime and forgot the values of our children on the way. We're so busy volunteering for all the groups and all the committees and all the things around town, but have no time For ourselves. No time just for us. Lift your hands up high. Forgive us for being mean to ourselves. Forgive us for not caring enough about the basic things in life our health, our mind, our heart. We're so busy trying to get people saved and we're lost ourselves. We've lost ourselves. How's our son doing, our children, our grandchildren? When's the last time I visited my kids? When's the last time I called? When's the last time I just stopped? Father, I speak to us today, and I declare healing in this room. Prosperity beyond money. But I pray for prosperity financially. They put themselves in the past in so much debt that they're mean to themselves. Now They're living in a consequence that they created years ago. But we thank you for forgiving us for being mean to ourselves. And we commit to loving ourselves and then loving our neighbors the way we love ourselves. In Jesus' name. Every hand down. Every head down. I also pray for people that don't know Jesus, people who need to start a life with God, whose life has not been in alignment with God's word. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for a brand new start. I pray that their life would, they'd start this day with a sense of forgiveness and healing and blessing. I pray that if they, they've not been walking with you, that they would say today, I'm walking with God I'm giving my life to him. If you're here today, and every head bowed, every eyes closed for your privacy, say, Pastor, that prayer is for me. I I need to give my life to Jesus, and I'm glad you prayed that prayer, and I want that in my life. Just raise your hand. Say, that's my prayer. I claim it. I see your hand. Anybody else? Say, that's my prayer. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody? That's my prayer. You just claim the prayer. Anybody else? That's my prayer. That's my prayer. That's my desire. Father, may that be true for them today. For here and at home and wherever they're watching this, on demand or wherever, may this be the moment they give their lives to Jesus. And may their relationship with God grow in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Well, praise God. Are you glad you came? Come on, praise God. I hope you're glad you came.